Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, have you ever seen, or I mean, I say seen, have you ever watched the TV series Law and Order? Well, I think most of us have, right? It's been on since 1990, so almost 30 years of Law and Order, and um, but but if you haven't, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give you be prepared for a spoiler, okay? I'm gonna break it down just a little bit. In going through the TV series Law and Order, it is a crime drama TV series, and it's set in New York City. Now, listen, listen. I don't know if you know this, but the first half of the show, the detectives, right, the the stars of the show, they investigate a crime that was committed. That's really their job, the first part of the show. And what they do is they go around and they'll gather evidence and they'll take pictures and, and they'll look for clues and they'll say where the bullet went, if there were shots. And they do all of these things, right? And, of course, they come back and they go to the crime lab and they make an assessment. And after they make the assessment, they put all the facts together, if you will, and they go and arrest the bad guy or bad guys. That's the first part of the show. That's the law part of the show. Then in the second part of the show, unbeknownst to us, it moves into a, a it shifts. It shifts from the law and, and the investigating and the arrest. It shifts to, think about this, guys, it shifts to the trial part of the accused. It actually goes to the courts. And then, you know, so in your mind, you're already hearing that. Dun, 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 dun. And the lawyers come, right, in the court system, and, and the lawyers come, and, and they're presenting the case, and they're, they're going back and forth, and you have the defendant, and, and you have, I mean, you have all of these, and, and basically there are times in the court part of the proceedings that all the evidence is overwhelming. You have the smoking gun, and he's guilty, and then there are times when we feel like the lawyer scrambling just to find something. Well, you know, we found a hair. Where did you find a hair? Everybody has hair. You know, they're scrambling to try to make a case before the judge. Now, listen, in some cases that we watch, they're simple. Black and white. Boom. Case closed. Guy's guilty. I didn't do it. Right? He has the gun. No, you did. We have cameras. Case closed. And yet, there are times in the show, guys, where they're a a bit more challenging, a bit more complicated. Of course, they're going to the defendant saying, hey, enter a plea bargain. Just confess and we'll get you a lesser sentence. But I didn't do it. I'll just do, just do this, right? You have a plea bargaining or, or really the accused is found guilty. And of course, they lay out the sentence. Now, stay with me. The last part of the show, the court is set to determine guilt or innocence. Okay? Sometimes we see in the show that the guilty go free. There was a mistrial, something wasn't right, why did you do this, you didn't do your homework, the guilty goes free. If I were to give you an example of a case in Law and Order in 33 AD, we could say that Barabbas was somebody who was guilty and actually got off and went free. The Bible tells us that Barabbas was guilty, he was a murderer, he was a hooligan, and he walked free that day in Pilate's court. And sometimes, as in the show, the innocent are convicted. And you go, well, like who? Well, think about Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't commit any crime, and yet he was convicted. Now, the show always ends, guys, 
with a cliffhanger, right? Always ends with something where they want you to tune in next time. And, and, and you hear that. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're looking at me, you're going, Ben, 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 Ben. Listen, we're only a few minutes into the study. What does law and order have to do with John chapter 18? Well, I believe, guys, if we'll break it down, this, the show, actually illustrates what we're about to encounter in the Holy Scriptures. And you say, well, how so? Well, you see, Jesus and the gang, Jesus and the disciples are going to head, all, head over the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas comes back with a detachment of troops to arrest him, and this would be the law part of the text. Next week, we'll see the order part of the text as Jesus and, and he will encounter several trials Several mistrials, if you will. You go, what's a mistrial? Well, they're going to hold court at night, which was against the law. But this today, well, again, you guys can see it's the law part. And you go, well, well Ben, what's, what's your hope in all of this? Well, here's my hope as we go through this text, that every one of us here would, would grasp, would fully grasp the overall notion, the overall thought of what John is trying to communicate to us in this chapter. Okay, remember, John being filled with the Holy Spirit, he's writing this down. He says, what, what do I really want to communicate to Then You go, Ben, what is, what is John trying to teach us? What is that, Ben? Well, if you're taking note, jot this down. Here's what I want you to, I, here's what I believe G, John is trying to teach us. That Jesus was in complete control over his arrest in crucifixion. That's what John is trying to communicate. Now, listen, although Judas right, betrayed him, armed with soldiers, succeeded in arresting Jesus, and although Peter, by human force, sought to protect him, right, what did he do? He cut off a man's ear, we'll get to that, I mean, we'll get to that in just a moment, but he cut off a man's ear. I think the main point, guys, is that Jesus, our Jesus, was calmly in control of the events leading up to his death. Here's what I want you to see. And here's how I want you to apply it to your life. My Jesus was not a tragic victim, but rather he was a good shepherd who willingly laid down his life for the sheep. He was not a tragic victim. And as we look at verses 1 through 11 today, the overall lesson should be that Jesus is in complete control of all circumstances. He's, he's in control of the arrest. He's going to be in control of the trial. He's going to be in control of the crucifixion. And he's actually even going to lay down his life in control of his death. Now, here's what I need to learn. Here's what we need to learn this morning. Jesus is still in control, even today. And even more than that, listen to me, if Jesus was in control of everything in his life, he's still in control of your life. That, that really is the, what we need to grasp. See, the main application of the story is that since Jesus is Lord over, even over his death, you and I, we can trust him for our salvation. Can I get an amen? But here's what I want you to see. Guys, because Jesus is in control, we can trust him even when we go through trials. Because Jesus is in control, we can trust him even when we go through tribulations, even when there's a storm brewing. And, and let me even say this. If you're here today and you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, you can bet 
you can bet that you're going to be in a trial. You bet that there's a storm brewing. The closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the more intense the battle for Christians becomes. You can see, you can see that there are people that you would go, I can't believe he walked away from God. I can't believe he, what happened? He was on fire. And there's, there's just these, there's just these trials and these trials. Guys, the purpose of me telling you this is so that we can stand guard and be ready. Now's not the time to drop your game, if you will. Now's not the time to quit God. Now's not the time. Now's the time to step up and go, God, I even need you even more today because of the trials. But if Jesus is in control of of all that's going on in John chapter 18, I believe we can trust him when we go through trials, tribulations, storms, including even facing our own death. Guys, he is in control. Now, Remember where we left off two weeks ago, okay? Josh taught for me last week. We saw in John 17 that Jesus prayed, right? As he prayed, well, while he walked uh, with his disciples, he headed over the Kidron Valley. If you go to Israel today, there's not a bridge there anymore. It's, a, it's actually a road. It, it used to be this valley where a river flowed, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But he goes over the Kidron Valley. Okay, he's headed over to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays what, what, what we have is the longest recorded. Now, I say recorded because I believe Jesus prayed longer prayers that were not recorded, but he prays the longest chord. He, he goes with his hands lifted high, okay, his voice, his eyes, everything out loud, Lord God, and he prays, and we broke it down this way. Remember last two weeks ago, we said in verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. That's what he does first and foremost. And here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to go. It's okay to pray for yourself first. There are times we need to come confessing, God, I'm a mess. Please, before I can intercede for anybody, I need to be right with me. So it's okay. I don't want to pray for myself. I want to pray for other people. I don't want to be selfish. Well, Jesus prayed for himself first. Amen. The second part, guys, is verses 6 through 19. We see that Jesus prays for his disciples. He's going to pray for them. And then in verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for us. All those who will believe, he's praying for you right there. I love the fact that even before I was thought of, even before I was born, Jesus was praying for me. You go, amen. You go, what did we learn? Well, we took nine statements, guys, from the text, and we sought to apply them to our lives. And in doing so... We could or we should live the way that Jesus lived. Consider the following nine statements real quick. We won't go into them so deep. You can get the podcast. But number one, one thing we learned is we glorify God in everything. We glorify God. Whatever you do, whatever you set your mind to, make sure you glorify God. That's the first statement. You want to live like Jesus, glorify God in everything. Number two, we learned, guys, to finish the work that he has given you. Finish the work. And what I mean by that is be careful you're not looking at somebody else's race. You're not looking at somebody else's lane. Run in your lane, run your race. God has given you a work to finish. Finish that work. So many people, when they're running a race, they'll, they'll quit and they'll just run off the side. And God says, no, 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 I want you to finish the race. Well, God, I don't think this race looks like this isn't how I, what? And God says, finish your race. Number three, manifest his name in our daily life. Manifest, guys. What does manifest mean? Well, it means live so people know that God is alive. Live that way. That's what it should be. Manifest him in our everyday life. Manifest him. You go, okay, so live so that people know. Okay, I got this. How do I live like Jesus? He says, he says number four, speak life into other people's lives. We're so good at speaking death. Well, let's speak life. Let's be encouragers. Let's love on people. And a lot of times, guys, we, 
The Lord says, speak life, speak life. And then number five, we learned that we should pray for fellow believers. Listen, if you all agreed and you did in an amen that we're in a spiritual battle, are you praying for your fellow believers? Are you praying? Number six, live safe and secure in the hands of Jesus. Know that your salvation is secure, guys. Live safe in that. Number seven, we learned, give those in need his word. When people come to you for counsel, hey, what do you think? Hey, could I, could I, could I pick your brain for a moment? Hey, what do you think? Give them the word of God. That's what Jesus, I gave them your word, Lord, your word. And we give them, hey, let me tell you what I think. I don't want to know what you think. Tell me what God thinks. Let me give you my, and if you're going to give them your opinion, say, it's my opinion, please. It's just my opinion. But let me tell you what the word of God says. That's what we want to do. Number eight, we need to go. Go where? Is it time to get off? No, 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 go, guys. We need to be disciples in our own neighborhoods. We need to be inviting people to know Jesus. We need to be inviting people into our home and loving them. We need to go, he says. Go ye into the world and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to go. Well, that's not my job, Ben. That's yours. No, God said it's our job. It's our job. And last, he said, let us declare his name to the world. Now, the word declare is more than manifest. Manifest is how I live. Declare means I'm going to tell. I'm going to say, I, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about the greatest gifts. Guys, we are so amazingly awesome when it comes to good news in every other area. If you're on your way to a department store and you find the greatest sale you've ever found, it's not very, you know what? You're like, boom, boom, boom. You got to come here. I just found this. Look, I got this coffee pot for 10 bucks. Oh my gosh, you got to get here. And we're good about good news everywhere else, are we not? And he says, declare it. Be good news about Jesus. When people look at your life, they go, tell me. I got to tell you it's about Jesus. Ah, uh, you're all religious. No, no, it's not religion. It's I'm declaring his name to the world. That's what we learned two weeks ago. So today we pick up our story, guys, in verse 1 of chapter 18. And again, it starts off with the law's coming, right? The authorities are coming, if you will, in the, in the slang of our day. The popo's coming. This is coming. It's happening. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 18 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with the disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden. And he went, and his disciples entered. Now, this is amazing, okay? So again, Jesus is praying. He's left the upper room. He's going over. There used to be a bridge over the, from, from the Temple Mount across, okay, to the Kidron Valley. Now, here's what I want you to see. Back in Jesus' day, there was a bridge. Why was there a bridge? Because they would be, there would be several. It was this river, but the animal sacrifice, the blood, it would run through the Kidron Valley, and so as Jesus is walking over, guess what he is seeing? He's seeing water and blood flow, knowing that he's about to be crucified. He's seeing this. He knows what it means. He is the Lamb of God. And yet, one of the most major, major important points of the crucifixion is that when they stabbed him, guess what came out? Blood and water. You go, why was that? Because that proved to the world that he really did die and that he really did resurrect. Blood and water flowing down. Now, if you go there today, it's a street. 
It's a street. There's cars back and forth, and, and you, the eastern gates closed up. It's, it's different, but in your mind, that would have been a river headed down that way. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they're going. He, he crosses over the brook, Kidron. Okay? Now, here's what we need to remember. Ben, I've been saying this for over a year. John's gospel gives us the snapshots of the deity of Jesus, not so much details. Why? Well, notice in verse 1, he doesn't say the garden of Gethsemane. He doesn't point that out. Okay? He doesn't. All John says is, hey, he's, we're going to a garden. We're going to a garden. Right? Now, if we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, we know the place that Jesus is going is to Gethsemane. Okay? But if you're taking note, two interesting points that jump out of the text. You go, what are they? Number one, he says garden. He's talking about a garden, okay? And what struck me is that if you're here on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about a garden, okay? Genesis chapter 3, he says there was a garden. God had made this garden. It was the Garden of Eden, and it was so amazing and so beautiful, yet it was in the Garden of Eden that sin fractured the whole world. And the second thing that jumps out is that we know, based on the other Gospels, that it's Gethsemane. Gethsemane means uh, oil press, oil press. You go, okay, I think I got this. Now, for the sake of time, guys, we can't spend a whole lot of time in this, but it'd be great homework for you. But I want to chat for just a moment. I want to I compare both gardens, Garden Genesis chapter 3 and the garden that Jesus is going to in John 18. You go, what are they? Let me just give you a few, okay? In the Garden of Eden, here's what we discovered. We saw that Eve, who was she talking to? She's talking to a snake. Well, who was a snake? Satan, okay? So in the Garden of Eden, we see Eve talking with Satan. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus talking with the Father. He's not wasting his time on snakes. He's going straight to the Father. In the Garden of Eden, we saw Adam sin. He takes the forbidden fruit. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus being crushed for that sin. In the Garden of Eden, guys, we know that the events took place during the day. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, we know it was night. John tells us when they left the upper room, and it was night. In the Garden of Eden, we learn that Adam fell before Satan in sin. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in a little bit, we'll see the soldiers fall before Christ. In the Garden of Eden, we learn that Adam took the forbidden fruit from Eve's hand. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we'll see that Jesus take the cup from the Father's hand. In the Garden of Eden, we learned that God put an angel with a sword to keep Adam and Eve out of the garden. Out of Eden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we'll see Peter pull out a sword and cut off a man's ear. In the Garden of Eden, we saw Adam hiding from God. You guys remember that? In the Garden of Gethsemane, we'll see our Jesus not hide, but step up and say, I am he. He's not hiding. He's going to step up. The second point I I want you to see is the beginning of the crushing of Jesus for the purest oil. Again, if you're taking note, put this somewhere in your Bible, Gethsemane means oil press. And remember how olives were crushed back in Jesus' day. You go, how were they, Ben? Well, how do you get, how do you get oil from the olives? Well, in the ancient worlds, guys, the first thing they would do is beat the trees, which caused the ripe 
olives to fall to the ground. That's the first thing they would do. Okay? And then they would gather them all and take them back to the press. Here's what we, we, we know, because we know the text. In, in a few short hours, they'll be beating Jesus. This is the beginning of the press, but we know they're going to beat him. And you go, well, what happens after that? Well, they gather the olives, guys. They take him back, and they, they put him in a, a, a circular stone basin, which has a millstone that goes around it, Right? And this is how the olives were crushed. And eventually, what happens, they'd go around and, and a paste would form that would include little bits of leaves, twigs, and pieces of millstone. The purest of the oil would go down and a paste would form. You guys tracking with me, okay? And you go, yeah, okay. So the purest of the oil is already being poured out, but all of a sudden, you'd have this paste. Now, here's what blew my mind. When you did this, the liquid actually had a reddish hue to it. You go... What? Yeah, and this is what blew my mind. You go, why? Because in Luke's gospel, he says, and Jesus, where was he? In the garden, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly than his sweat became like grape drops of blood falling down on the ground. I guess you could write in your Bible, you can't make this stuff up. This is real. This is God. You can't be like, hey, Okay, so olives, olive garden, Jesus, red. I mean, this is real. And so right here, guys, right here, we see Jesus starting. He's starting the crushing period by the weight of our sin. And his journey, where did it start? To the cross? It started with prayer. He was being crushed that his sweat became like great drops of blood. So we see that's the first verse. Well, in John 18, 2, as it goes on, it says, And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met with his disciples. Judas left the upper room. He's going to get the authorities. Here's what I want you to see. It says Judas knew where, where Jesus and the guys hang out. He'd gone there often. And what's he doing there? He's praying. Guys, I just want to encourage you. Do you have... Do you have a place where you often go to pray? Do you have your little prayer chair? Do you have your little recliner? This is where I pray. People go, oh, man, that's where she prayed. Oh, that's where he prayed. That's, Judas knew. So what did he do? He, he said, man, I know where Jesus is going to be. He's going to be. He's going to be at the garden. Then Judas, notice what it says. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Guys, if you have a pencil handy, circle the word for detachment of troops. Why? Because a detachment is, is normally three to 600 Roman soldiers. That's a lot of people, right? Three to 600 Roman soldiers looking for one guy. He got a detachment. Now, you got to remember, this is Passover, so Jerusalem would have been a buzz with people everywhere, and all of a sudden, here's where they're going, right? Well, you go, Ben, you mentioned night. How do you know it's by night? Well, notice they came with lanterns and torches. They want to see what's going on. Now, here's my thought. I wonder what the disciples thought, okay? Because last they saw of Judas, he was going, and they thought, well, maybe he's going to go buy more bread for the Passover. Maybe he's going to, I don't know what's happening. And here he comes with the popo. Here he comes with the authorities, this is, and, he's, and, and I mean, the guys are probably confused. They're going, what's going on? And then he comes up, guys. 
And he walks up to our Jesus and he kisses him on the cheek, the Judas kiss, the kiss of betrayal. And he tells the guys earlier, right? doesn't tell us here, but he says, the, the one I, whom I kiss, that's, that's the one you want to get. You're going, wow. Wow. Verse 4 says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and he said to them, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Don't you just love Jesus' heart? Don't you just love it? He steps up and asks. He steps up. He went forward. Why would he go forward? Well, if this was a man who was not in control of his own destiny, he would have stepped back and said, okay, guys, this is not going down. Hold on. No, he goes, hey, uh, whom are you seeking? What are you guys looking for? What are you guys looking for? Guys, Jesus knows everything that's happening in that moment. He is in control. Can I get a good amen? But here's the lesson. I know in our lives, guys, we often feel at times that things get out of control. We feel like our lives get out of control. There are times when we have a a sinking feeling where you feel like you're drowning. Life is just out of control. And what makes it worse is, is, stay with me, what makes it worse is you'll have friends who tell you, I don't care what the Bible told you, I don't care what the Bible promised you, let's talk reality, and they might say, here are the facts, your life is out of control, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on, well, here's what I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you that there's a big difference between facts and truth. The truth is in the Bible, and it's real. The fact might be that things seem out of control. But the truth is, Jesus has it all under control. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Check the facts against the word of God. Check the facts against the word of God. Listen, he knows everything that's happening to you right now. And he has a plan for your life, just like he did in Gethsemane. He's got it under control. He's got it. But pastor, you don't understand. It looks nuts. I'm not sure what tomorrow brings. He's got it under control. I don't know where, I mean, we could, goodness gracious, think about what what the disciples are thinking. And Jesus goes, no, I've been telling you this. I've got it under control. I've got it under control. And Jesus looks at him and he says, "Um, whom are you seeking? Notice what they answered, verse 5. And they answered and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Thank you, Judas. And he went and said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. Now, here's what I want you to see. Look at your Bibles, guys. In the New King James Version, the word he is in italics, which means it wasn't in the original language. So what Jesus actually says is, I am. Who are you looking for? I am. And that's the great I am statement. He's always said that. Well, Jesus wasn't really God. No, he was because he just said, I am. That was a term used for God. I am. Now, the writers put it in there so we have a good flow in our English. I am he. Now, what happened? When he said that, all the soldiers fell back. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, did did 300 soldiers fall back? Did say, I mean, right? And so you go, oh, oh. But I want you to catch that the soldiers did fall back when Jesus said, when he said that, right? They all fell to the ground. That's what the word of God says. 
Now, here is what we must know at this point. You go, what's that? Everybody who came to arrest Jesus were probably unbelievers. They weren't coming to. They were coming to arrest a criminal. They weren't coming to look and see the Messiah. And you go, well, so they were slain. Yeah, they were slain by God's word, but they were unbelievers. So you got to be so careful when we take something out of context and make it what we want to say. They all fell backwards. They all fell backwards. Now, I just think Roman soldiers had a lot of gear. Did you hear a lot of when they got back up? You know, it's like, okay, what happened? I don't know. He said, I am, and I fell. I just felt this power. I just, I don't know. So Jesus asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, he said, let these go on their way. Why did he say that? He said that, verse 9, that it might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those you have gave me, I have lost none. Right? Jesus is being arrested. Dun, 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 dun. He steps up forward, and then this, and he says, but I want to make sure that this is what I spoke, right? And you go, when did he speak it? Jot this down. John six thirty nine. John six thirty nine. Jesus said, this is the will of my Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And then in John 17, 12, as he's praying, we saw that two weeks ago, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. That's Judas, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So Jesus goes, listen, if you're looking for me, let these guys go. He didn't want anybody to get hurt. He wasn't going to lose anyone. The problem is, Peter! Aren't we like Peter? My goodness, I feel like Peter most of the time. You go, why? Notice verse 10. And Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant. He cut off the right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, right? So here's my mind. It's like Jesus, like, I've got everything under control. Peter goes like, so do I. And my first question is, where did Peter get a sword? The dude was a fisherman by trade. Where did he get a sword? And here's my mind. Here's how crazy my mind works. Peter probably had a knife because he was used to opening fish and cutting, cleaning them so forth. So he probably had a knife, and he's walking through the, the bad places, the bad streets of Jerusalem. And you see a guy, and he's got a bunch of say, hey, you going to buy a sword? And Peter's like, I got a knife. And he's like, no, that's not a knife. And he pulls out a sword, and Peter's like, yeah, I might need that. And Peter buys a sword. You go, is that in this text? No, that's not in the text. But I'm going, where did Peter get a sword? He was a fisherman. Why would he have a sword? And so what does Peter do? He takes off a sword. Most commentators believe that he was trying to cut off the dude's head. But he was such a bad shot, or God is such a good distraction, <laughs> that he cut off an ear. That's bad enough, right? That's, that's, that's bad enough. How many of you are like Peter? You go, what do you mean? Well, there are times in my life that I act exactly like Peter. Why? If you were to put yourself in Peter's sandals, right now, Peter feels that things are out of control. This is about to go down. What does Peter do? He's going to take on 300 dudes. Okay? He's going to take, I mean, Pete, are you even thinking? I'm not thinking. Give me the sword. Who, right? And, and here's the thing, right? I was mentioning this the other day to Josh, and Josh said, and he cracked me up because he's like, hey, Peter didn't even use prison rules. 
You go, what are prison rules? Well, you take out the biggest guy in prison, right? So you show some authority. Pete didn't even do that. He looked for probably the smallest guy. Let's see, you're a high priest servant. Okay, Malchus, come here. Shoom. I'm like, go, go after the biggest guy. At least you, I mean, you got, what if it was 600? Pete's not thinking. Peter's not thinking. He's out of control. Thank God he only gets the year. Will you guys write this down? Here, what's this? When things seem out of control, when things seem out of control in my life, that's when I act in the flesh. That's what Peter did. When things seem out of control in my life, that's when I act in the flesh. That's what Peter does. Peter, you're going to take on 300 guys? Come on, Pete. And then I got to show you something here that I find very interesting. You go, what's that? Let me give you a PS to this, to this verse. You got to love John. You got to love John. And you go, why? Every other gospel, every other gospel says, and someone cut off Malchus's ear. Okay? John says, it was Peter. Peter did it. Right? Here's what I love. John just goes, boom, through Peter, right under the bus. Right? Saw the bus coming. Much like Josh does to me many times. His full extension, boom. Right? That's what he does. I mean, I mean, I could tell you story after story of, of yeah, anyways, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But that's what Peter does. That's what John does. John says, uh, no, it was Peter. Peter's like, did you have to really say my name? The other guys didn't really have my name, right? I mean, come on. Peter was dictating, right, to Luke, the doctor in the Gospel of Luke, and he doesn't say, his, he says, well, it was me. Oh, we won't put you in, Pete. You're, you're, already, you're, already have, you're already crazy. You already took out a sword to try to fight 300 guys. Not John. John's like, it is Peter. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into your sheath, Peter. Shall I not drink of the cup which my father has given me? Guys, what's Pete thinking right here? Pete, listen to me. Jesus says, I have total control of this. I have, control, I have total control of my life. I, I will lay it down. And this is the purpose of why I came. The cup of my father is to reconcile all of mankind back to him. To him. Jesus says, I've got it under control. And guys, when our lives are just so out of control like Peter, in your life, what have you taken out your sword to and fought 300, getting ready to fight 300 men? What have you got? Oh, well, Ben, that seems silly. Exactly. Exactly. God has it under control. Put your sword back in your sheath and wait on him. Now, 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 now think about this, guys. Think about this. Do you ever wonder why Peter was carrying a sword in the first place or why he would take on 300 men? Why, do you ever wonder that? You're like, well, why was it? I think Peter, I think it was fear. You guys, when we feel like life is out of, out of control, it, it breeds fear, and fear causes us to panic. Feeling like we're out of control 
it causes us to make bad choices. Well, I'll just do this. Well, I'll just, we're not thinking it through. But when we truly surrender our lives to Jesus, he has complete, complete, complete control and is guiding through every circumstance. And the same thing that Jesus tells Peter, he's going to say to you today, calm down, just breathe. I've got it all under control. I've got this. I've got this. So let's close our Bible study this way, guys. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lose control and take G- and let Jesus take control of your life. I want you to lose control and let Jesus take control of your life. You go, what do you mean? Well, you could jot this down, let go and let God. You go, let go and let God. Uh, ben, I got a question. What is it? How do I do that? How do I do that? Let me give you five reasons real quick, okay? Five reasons that you can apply today of letting Jesus take control of your life. You go, what are they? Number one, stop striving and start abiding. Stop striving. I've just got to do this. Just, just remain in him. Stay close in him. What does that look like in your life? Guys, it, it means that, that you're spending time with God, that you're praying and that you're worshiping and that you're reading his word and that you're serving and that you're sharing. Just, just abide. Just get wrapped up in the Lord. If the Lord were a blanket, guys, take that blanket and just put it on and just stay in him. That's the first way. You go, what else? Number two. Number two. Confess and surrender control to God. That's the first place to go. God, I have been so, I have been trying to, I confess, Lord, I surrender control. I give, you've got it, God. And Lord, when I get like Peter and I start to pull out my sword because I'm panicking, remind me that you're in control. Remind me that you got my next step. Lord, Lord, when I can't see tomorrow and I don't know what's going to happen and I've got to handle things, remind me to put the sword back in my sheath, get on my knees and say, God, you got this. Easier said than done, but that's what we should do. Number three, be still. Be still and know that he's God. Guys, how many examples in Scripture do we have of men trying to help God out? God goes, I got this. And you go, yeah, 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 I know, but let me help you. Yeah, let me know, but let me, let me do my part. Because God helps those who help themselves. No, that's not even a Scripture, guys. Be still and know he's God. What are you doing, sister? I'm just standing still. Why are you standing still? Because I'm just being still. Well, don't you think you should do something? I am doing something. I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. I'm being still. Number four, seek him while he may be found. Seek him. Have you ever gone looking for something which you really didn't care about? You just thought, I'm going to look for it. And you'll move a few papers, you'll move a few things, but you're really not. That's just looking for something. And then you get distracted, you know, there's golf on TV, so you're kind of looking, but then you're over here going, oh, I'm going to watch this. You're really just looking. Well, did you find what you were looking for? I don't care. Maybe, it'd be, I don't know, it'll, it'll turn up. 
That's not what this means. This means go seeking for it. Leave no rock unturned seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you have for us? What do you have for us? God, what do you have for us? Lord, what do you have for us? Lord, what do you have for my family? God, what do you have for the future? What do you have for my kids? God, show me. God, protect my blind sides because I can't see. Help me, Lord. I can see in front of me, but I, I, this is my blind side. I can't. I go seeking God. Number five, and this is the hardest one. You ready? Learn to trust the living God. Learn to trust. Why is it hard to learn to trust? Because the devil comes and says, God's failed you. He failed you. You prayed for this and it didn't come to pass. He failed you. And you go, oh, God never failed you. We need to learn to trust. We need to learn to trust the living God. So right now, my Jesus is arrested according to John. The law part of that is happening. Next week, we're going to see the order. We're going to see the trial. We're going to see this, and it's the most amazing thing, guys. We're going to see Jesus dropped into a pit while he waits for the trial. And in Israel, you can go into that pit where they dropped him. There's a hole in the ceiling, and, and I'm sure they were not very nice with my Jesus. To them, he's a common criminal. To them, they're searching for evidence. They don't have the evidence. He's innocent, but they're going to accuse him guilty. And they're going to drop him through a hole and probably pull him up so he can go to trial. And people are going to be screaming, this is not even right. This is not how we do things. And they're going to say, you be quiet. This needs to be done. This needs to be done so fast that by 9 o'clock in the morning, Jesus is on the cross. Well, Ben, why, why wasn't this a mistrial? Why didn't somebody stand up and say, well, Jesus, you can go free. Sorry. It's because Jesus was under control and he knew that he had to lay down his life so that we could be set free. And when I think about that amazing grace, guys, when I think about all that Jesus has did, done for me, all I can do is shout hallelujah, amen, and worship the living God. Father, thank you for your word this morning and the truth in your word. Thank you for your great love. We love you, God. These things, confessing and being still and seeking you and learning to trust, Lord, I, I have trouble with all of those, but I know that you can help me through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to trust that you are God. Thank you, God, for your word today. Thank you for growing us, God, more like you. As we worship you now, Lord, we just praise you. We worship you. Thank you, Lord. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, 
please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.